0: If we don't do that job, then there is no information about those places. Then people from those places cannot be heard
1: or be seen. To quote this week's guest, the Islamic Republic of Iran is a land of fascinating contradictions. It's a country of roughly 80 million, where 70% of the population has satellite dishes, despite the fact that they're illegal. Where women serve in the parliament. yet they're forbidden from riding bicycles, where journalists are allowed to report on stories as they wish, until they aren't. Hello and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwalader, and few are as familiar with the dangers inherent in Iran's puzzling approach to journalism as our guests this week. In 2014, Yagane Rezaian, a native-born Iranian, and her husband, Jason, both professional journalists covering Iran for international news outlets were arrested and imprisoned for their work. While well, Yagane was released after more than two months in prison, her husband spent nearly two years locked away. Yagane is now a fall 2016 Joan Shorenstein Fellow at the Kennedy School's Shorenstein Center. Thank you so much for coming on. Sure,
0: thanks for having me. It's my pleasure.
1: For those of us in societies who, that have kind of a right to free speech, I think it can be a little bit hard to wrap our heads around um, the idea of pursuing journalism in a place where you can get in trouble for saying the wrong thing. Uh, given that, you were, you were born in Iran. Uh, you lived your whole life in Iran. What made you pursue journalism? Well,
0: journalism by its definition, is a very difficult... I I, I call it 3D. So it, to me, I always thought it's difficult, it's really demanding, and then there are places that it can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. There are so many materials for journalists working in my country, Iran, but mo- most of the coverage is like broken pieces. Journalists get temporary access, they come into the country, they have few weeks to report about two or three subjects, and then they have to leave. Mm -hmm. So I was always thinking as an Iranian who was born and raised in that culture, um, I, I can have a better understanding of the place and I will be able to project it to the outside world in a very honest way.
1: How would you characterize the country of Iran? The people, the government, the...
0: My people are, first of all, very friendly, very, as I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, very hospitable people. Um, honestly, they, they I've heard this sentence all my life that, oh, we have so much in common with Americans. Um, Like everywhere else, you can find good people, bad people, like more religious people, less less religious people, more political people, less. It's a mix of, it's a normal nation, like everywhere else.
1: So give us an idea of I guess, how information flows in Iran. Iran, of course, um, you know, you have state-run news organizations, but it's also a place where satellite dishes are illegal, yet up to 70% of the country has them. Can you describe that and kind of give us a picture of how people receive information?
0: I can say it's a mix of everything. As Mm -hmm. you mentioned, satellite dishes play an important role. Mm. State TV and state radio are available, Um, also social media. Um, Although access to social media is kind of limited, like Twitter and Facebook are blocked, um, and there is a new smart kind of filtering happening about Instagram, Uh, so depends on the content of Mm -hmm. the page. Um, Being done by the government yes, um mm-hmm. uh, but I can say that my people are naturally very very um informed people they they listen to news different um sources mm-hmm. and they watch news. Every Iranian house that you walk in, you see that at 9 p.m., at least the parents in that house will turn the TV on because it's the prime time for night Mm -hmm. news. So I can say they definitely watch news. And I don't actually believe that having those restrictions... On social media and satellite dishes, n- improved, like developed people's um in tendency for having or listening more news because they have both side of the stories. They have the state-run news agencies and new state-run papers and state TV, and they have access to. N- Flu of news from outside or information from outside, and to be honest, I can strongly say that it doesn't matter. Both religious and more modern or less religious families, uh, or people within the government, or people with like f- freelance jobs, they all watch two sides. They all listen to both sides and they compare hmm. all the time.
1: Hmm. Right now at the Shorenstein Center, you're working on a report about women reporting in uh, countries across the Middle East. Right. Obviously, there are a tremendous number of differences between Iran and Turkey and Egypt and Saudi Arabia and uh, everywhere else. Um, what do you see as the similarities between these different cultures?
0: One particular thing that is um, outstanding is the role of the religion in those countries and also some traditions that have been bound with religion. Those countries, because being Islamic, because the religion is playing a major role in their people's culture, tend to be more patriarchal, they are more misogynistic, and because they have less tolerance for freedom of speech, um, they can be more repressive or suppressive for journalists. Mm -hmm. So these are the similarities that I am focusing on in my research.
1: I can only imagine uh, as a woman reporting in these kinds of societies, you're facing tremendous uh, problems that you have to overcome.
0: I, I can give you different examples. There are moments that you are doing your job as a woman, as a journalist, um, and you don't even pay attention about yourself being different from your male colleagues. But then you see the officials in those countries are more eager to talk to your male colleagues just because they believe they have a better understanding. Basically, they underestimate your work, your understanding, your intelligence. (laughs) Or there are some situations like war. You see that your male colleagues will get better access or they... They are saying, oh, tomorrow morning when we go to Afghanistan borders to report about drug trafficking, we only pick male journalists because they still believe, oh, you are more delicate as a woman, you won't be able to protect yourself, or you get entangled in a conversation with an official and you are expecting respect because you are doing your job professionally. But just small action or just small world can make you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Whether that official is doing it intentionally or in most cases unintentionally, it's the way that they see you as a woman.
1: I think, uh, unfortunately, this isn't something that's limited to uh, Islamic societies. Definitely. It's uh, certainly something that's been uh, brought up here in the United States.
0: There are officials that still, we are in 21st century, it's 2016, soon will be 2017. They still believe that you belong to the kitchen. So... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so and maybe maybe your research isn't so much about the Middle East and <laughs> really a global perspective.
0: I'm, I'm sure it, it has a broader spectrum, but um, in that part of the world, you see it more often. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that it gets fixed <laughs> before. but at the same time you see female journalists are doing great job in Syria, in Iraq, in Turkey if it was not for a female photographer, we never saw a picture of the young Syrian boy who was, his body was washed off the shore. She was there. She dedicated her life and time and her time away from her own family and gave us this horrific but true story. Mm -hmm. I think one way of, Fighting against this discrimination is just to ignore and do your job. I always try to cover, be careful, cover myself and be careful about my clothing situation in Iran just to make sure no official is able to limit my access to the work I was doing. Um, So women are doing great in that part of the world, despite all the challenges and discriminations. And I think one way of fighting against this discrimination is not to focus on your sex or your gender and just do your job. So I I really don't want to constantly focus on that, but uh, I definitely want to acknowledge that.
1: We were discussing uh, before the interview, you mentioned uh, the idea of red lines uh, in Iran. Could you explain what that means and how maybe uh, an aspiring journalist who might want to cover a story in Iran, how, how they get their head around that?
0: Well, as, as I said, um, when, when you ask for a press accreditation, nobody ever explains to you that what are those red lines. That's the whole point about them. They are always blurry. They are always changing red lines. There is not a session that they debrief journalists or at least foreign journalists and they said, oh, Matt, you should not write about this topic. Mm-hmm. So... It's only by, you you learn about those red lines only by experience. If you get called or summoned or if they take your authorities, take your press pass um, away, then you think, okay, in the last month I had these three stories, so that's definitely related to one of those. Mm -hmm. They are always changing. And as I said, unfortunately, Nobody ever explains it to you.
1: Now, obviously, uh, for many listeners, I'm sure they are well aware of the fact that you had some firsthand experience with uh, some of these challenges. Can you describe uh, what happened to you and, uh, and your husband in uh, uh, a couple of years ago now?
0: I worked my whole career as a journalist in Iran and um, just... And he is the Washington Post. He was the Washington Post correspondent in Tehran. And we were just arrested. And I've discussed it uh, since our release with so many different people who had a say on, or I thought they have a say on the subject, uh, whether they shared similar experiences or things like that. And we still don't know what happened And um, I just know that professionally and personally in our life um, as a couple, I cannot think of anything that we have done that could cause us this. And definitely uh, I can say we did not deserve what we've been through.
1: Obviously, this has incredible uh, personal impact. But I'm curious about what was going through your head as a professional journalist.
0: I must say that Iran is not like former Soviet Union, that journalists had to provide the authorities with their drafts of the story that they were working on. And then if they got the approval, they could go ahead and publish it. Mm-hmm.
1: So as
0: a journalist journalist, you have the freedom of choosing your topic and pursuing that topic. And you never know if that topic will be problematic or not if it gets published. And the only way that you will learn little by little by working in Iran is that if you write stories and they publish, especially in the outside world, If you have never been summoned or you have never been questioned or if you have never been called in order that authorities decide they want to take your press pass away, means your stories were not problematic or questionable, you are doing a good job then. (laughs) So I'm sure in our case, it's i'm de- I definitely think it caused lots of fear among other journalists traveling to Iran especially foreign journalists traveling or working in Iran, but I did not discuss it with anybody personally, so i before this happened to us, anytime we heard a similar story we would get Upset, obviously, because of the humanitarian reasons, and um, we would try to be more careful. But you never know what really happens. Mm -hmm. So you just try to be more cautious. I'm sure that was the same story with other journalists. They tried to be more cautious, both professionally and personally.
1: You know, when we were speaking before, it sounded to me uh, like you were eager to kind of give advice to those who wanted to cover things. At the same time, you didn't want to dissuade anybody uh, from Def- pursuing something important.
0: Definitely, w- one of the most important reasons that I'm um, writing this research and working around it is that I want to share my experiences working as a journalist and working as a female journalist because mm-hmm. as I told you earlier, Being a journalist by itself is demanding, difficult, and dangerous. Um, But your gender can also play a major role and make it double dangerous Mm -hmm. for females. Um, So I want to make sure by doing this research, I can share my experiences with those who want to pursue journalism, especially in those countries that have as we said repressive and misogynistic power structures but at the same time i want to make sure they are prepared for by sharing the experience i'm not saying that i want to prevent younger generations Uh, from being a journalist or traveling to Iraq or Syria or Lebanon or Afghanistan or Iran. Because if we don't do that job, then there is no information about those places. Mm -hmm. Then people from those places cannot be heard or be seen. I actually want to motivate more people to go, but at the same time, I want them to be prepared psychologically, physically, physically security-wise for what they are going through, and they know if all of a sudden something dangerous, they are in a dangerous situation or something unexpected happens to them, whether by um, security forces within the system or like with militia in Syria or Iraq, um, how they, they can at least... Mentally, be more prepared to protect themselves. Mm
1: -hmm. What advice specifically would you give to? I mean, there there are the people who are from, Mm -hmm. you know, Iran, Lebanon, Syria, wherever that want to cover their homes. I imagine you would have one set of advice for those people and another set of advice for, say, uh, an American or uh, someone from China or where else, wherever else um, that wants to go to these places mm-hmm. and cover what's happening. Uh, what would you tell, tell these different groups of people?
0: Um, for those who are low-call and are working for their own state-run media, Perhaps as female journalists, you're still facing so many similar challenges as foreigners. Sometimes even more challenges because it's possible that you are a foreigner in a country and at least local people like you better because they have a less understanding of who you are or you look so uh, new to them. Sometimes you'll see that in Iran, People in street, in bazaar, in in grand bazaar, in shopping malls, like to talk to foreigners f- freer. But when they see you as a domestic, they're like, oh, a little bit more suspicious. So challenges can be very similar or very difficult. But the best advice, well, I'm, first of all, I'm not in a position to give any <laughs> advice, but um, well, at least
1: you have experience. To, well, to yeah,
0: only I, I think the best piece of advice or experience is to study those countries. Like if you are a young journalist, whether male or female, that doesn't matter if you're a female. Well, of course, you have to study more. Do your homework before going there culturally and religiously and have a good understanding of. Where you are going, at what kind of people they are, and as I mentioned earlier, language plays a very major, important role. I I think the better you understand the place and are f- the more you are familiar with that nation's culturally, mm-hmm. will really help. At the same time, don't ignore the power structure, don't ignore the ruling system because. There are, in unfortunately, in that part of the world, you see lots of sometimes major gaps between the nation and the government. Like nation can be so, people of that country can be very friendly, nice, trustworthy, nothing like the government. Mm-hmm. And sometimes within the government, there are some different groups of the governments that you should know better and more. Mm. Like, Security forces can be from different units within the same government. Mm. So those are the things that you should definitely learn about them before going there, just to know what to expect.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on PolicyCast today. I really appreciated having you on.
0: My honor and my privilege. I really enjoyed talking to you. I hope. this is a good uh, conversation, and your listeners, our
1: listeners, like it. Well, I certainly have, so thank you again. Thank really you. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Ygane Rizeon is a fall 2016 Joan Shorenstein Fellow at the Kennedy School's Shorenstein Center. You can learn more about her and the other fellows on the Shorenstein Center's website. HKS Policycast is a production of Harvard Kennedy School. It's produced by Matt Cadwalader and Natalie Montaner. Special thanks to Becky Wickle and Catherine Serafin for their help with distribution. You can follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast, or find links to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and elsewhere by visiting hkspolicycast.org. See you next week.